sweet presence in this place. Let's just maintain reverence before the Lord tonight. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. Turn me down just a little bit. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Psalm 119. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Say with me, enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Say with me, my whole heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. For the Lord says, I have redeemed my people from the curse of the law, yet they again and again submit to men and the traditions of men and submit to the curse of men, their traditions and their ways, but the Lord says, I have redeemed you from the curse of the law, from the curse of men, from the curse of tradition, from the curse of men's ways, says the Lord. Will you enlarge your heart tonight? Will you receive my words tonight? That it's not the word of a man, not the words of tradition, not the ways of men or the ways that they have done it. But the Lord says, if you will receive my word, and you will walk in my ways. The Lord says, I will break down every wall of tradition. I will break every curse that's over you, says the Lord. And I will cause you to prosper in the way. For the Lord says, I'm breaking down the walls of limitation that have kept my people back. For the Lord says, my way is the new way. My way is the unique way. My way is the way to liberty. My way
church, make room. Make room in your heart. Enlarge your heart. Enlarge your heart. Receive all that the Lord has put in your heart. Break down every wall, every border, God. Remove every wall of religion, every wall of limitation. Father, let your spirit enlarge your heart, oh God, to receive your word, to allow your spirit to move. Father, we abandon ourselves. We abandon ourselves unto you, oh God. Oh, Read Galatians 3 1 3, 3 13. 
I'm just going to throw it out there. Has anybody here got March 13th? That's you. Come on up. March 13th. Anybody else? Special birthday, anniversary, special My sister's and my dad's birthday. Your sister's and your dad's birthday. How about you? It's your birthday? March 13th. Hallelujah. Why don't you pray in the spirit with me? For the Lord says, I've called you unto liberty. The Lord says, in days gone by, men have tried to put you in shackles, tried to hold you back, to put up a wall. But the Lord says, because you have abided in my presence, the Lord says, fullness of joy has been your reward. The Lord said, the fullness of joy has strengthened your hands for battle, for you've been in a battle, says the Lord. But the Lord said, because of the streams of the oil of gladness, of the streams of the oil of joy that you partake of in my presence, the Lord says, I've released a spirit of might upon you, and the Lord says, you will not be undaunted by every enemy that has set itself against you and your family. The Lord says, I've strengthened your hands and I've skilled you for war. And the Lord says, I've given you the sword of my spirit. And the Lord says, in the days to come, I'm going to show you how to wield your sword in a new way. But the Lord says there's been a level of frustration and a lack of breakthrough. But the Lord says that I will give you the strategies of war and I will cause you to wield the sword of the spirit. And I will not only extricate and free you, but the Lord says I will begin to free a generation from that which binds them. The Lord says no more change. No more, no more boundaries, no more barriers that men have set. For the Lord says, great favor is upon you, says the Lord. And the Lord says, I will use your tongue to break a generational curse off of your family, says the Lord. For the Lord says, I pray, you said, I prayed for my family and I've not seen the harvest. But the Lord says, the harvest is coming, for I'm releasing keys out of heaven to unlock the doors that will cause the doors of salvation to open to your family, says the Lord. You will not stand alone for me in the days ahead, for I have reserved a legacy that shall arise, yes, even in your family, that will surprise even you, says the Lord. The Lord says, hold fast to hope. And the Lord says, even in the night seasons, I will, I will bring to you keys of revelation that will unlock the past, give you an understanding, and break the curse of your family, says the Lord. Arise, O daughter of Zion, for that's what they call you in heaven. Arise, O daughter of Zion, for you shall reap where you have sown in mercy. You shall reap in justice and revelation and victory and salvation for your family, says the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hall
the mantle of the intercessor. But the Lord says, I'm anointing you as a prophetess. I am anointing you as a king. That you would proclaim and declare liberty over your family. That you would not only intercede, but the Lord says, I've graced you with the spirit of grace and supplication. But the Lord says, I'm, I'm exalting the gift that I place within you, and I'm going to cause you to prophesy victory and proclaim liberty over your family. The Lord said, there is a release of the word of the Lord that will break every wall of opposition in your family, every word curse that's been set against you. Right? I break those curses right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for the glorious liberty of the Spirit over this woman of God in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the heavy anointing oil, the anointing that destroys every yoke in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you have anything? Okay. Hallelujah. All right. He came back. I was ready. I don't know your name, but you walked out. I had a word for you. You came back. So come on. What's your name? Coley. Have you ever been here before? Okay. Come over here. Coley. C-O-L-E-Y. So the first time somebody got it right. All right. All right. Just look up your name for the Lord. For the Lord says, I'm bringing you into a spring season. The Lord says, you've cut your losses and you've moved forward into my destiny. And the Lord says, I'm equipping you for the work and for the task. The Lord says, forget that which is behind and look to that which is ahead. The Lord says, you do not need the approval or the commendation of men. But the Lord says, all you need is a word for me. And the Lord says, go for it. The Lord says, go, go boldly. The Lord says, do not uh, be afraid, for I am with you. And the Lord says, I will not allow you to go into intimidation or apprehension, for the Lord says, I'm releasing a spirit of might upon you. The Lord says, I'm giving you eyes to see what I'm doing in your life. And the Lord says, if you will ask me, I will unravel your scroll in heaven, and I will write on the tablets of your heart that which is written in heaven before time began. Will you walk with me, and will you run with me, says the Lord. For the Lord says it's a new day, and it's a new way. The Lord says you've made some promises to me in the new year, and the Lord says I will hold you to it. For the Lord says I've scripted what I've written in heaven, and the Lord says there is a turning of the page, and the Lord says I'm causing that which is written in heaven to come into your heart and into your life. The Lord says, the day starts rising in your heart. And the Lord says, step forward, and I will confirm your steps. I will make your steps pure, and I will make them sure, says the Lord. The Lord says, I'm cutting off those from the past that have brought doubt, unbelief, and defilement in your life. The Lord says, I'm causing your step to be pure step. Cry out unto me for the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I will carve out the highway of holiness for you to walk upon, not only in this land, but I will bring you up into the high places of the Spirit. For the Lord says, you shall have an encounter, even as Jacob had an encounter with my presence, and even with my angels, says the Lord. 
And I will cause an open heavens to be over you, says the Lord. For in the night seasons, I will reveal my plans and purposes to you. The Lord says, I will cause the gift that I have ordained for you to walk in to be stirred up. For the Lord says, I will bring you favor in this season. For as you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I will add and I will multiply all the things that you asked me for, says the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. Why don't we sing that? You are good. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. You are good. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. Calling. 
So in other words, our kingdom commission or mandate from God should determine our use of heaven's resources. Amen? We have to have a clear vision of what God has corporately called us to do if we're going to properly utilize the resources he gives us. And so what we find in scripture is that ever-increasing dominion is the glory of every king and it's the mission of every kingdom. Ever-increasing dominion. Every king wants to increase his dominion, his reign. Is that not true? God's dominion mandate was issued to Adam, and it was accomplished through multiplication. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Say with me, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Say with me, have dominion. So the dominion mandate that he gave us was to be carried out through multiplication. All right? We see that even after the flood. How many know that everybody turned wicked? Everybody did what was right in their own heart. And God says, I'm sorry that I made man. So he sent a flood, and he had one righteous uh, man and his family by the name of Noah. Amen? Remember the flood? Yeah. And what happened after the flood? He made a covenant with Noah. Sound very similar to the covenant or the mandate that he gave to Adam in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Here we go again. Multiply and fill the earth. In verse 7, And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So to have dominion, there has to be a multiplication. What kind of multiplication? Number one generational multiplication. You see, God's dominion mandate to be fruitful and multiply was issued no less than nine times. Say with me, nine times in the book of Genesis and continued generationally through covenant. Say with me, covenant. With the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Moses. So there was a generational covenant that he made with him, the first being with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 2. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Say it with me, multiply. Verse 3, then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Here's the generational multiplication. I'm not happy with just a covenant with you that you would just have a, a great family. No, you're going to be a father of many nations. I am going to multiply the covenant that I made with you, and I'm going to extend it to all the nations. See, this is one of God's plans to have dominion, is to have generational multiplication. Does that make sense? Even with Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 10. The Lord your God has multiplied you and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. Listen to verse 11. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous. Say with me a thousand times more numerous than you are. And bless you as he has promised you. See, God is not in the business of addition. He is in the business of multiplication. In fact, he is into exponential 
through multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Yes. That is a principle of the kingdom. He wants to have dominion through his church through generational multiplication. And so what happens when consecutive generations of people unite with God through covenant, he establishes a kingdom culture, say it be kingdom culture, that influences thinking, values, disciplines of worship, education, government, economy, you name it. Amen? And when the influence, say with the influence, it could be a very important word tonight. When the influence of an established kingdom culture extends beyond geographical borders and language barriers, nations are impacted. How many know that God's all about inheriting nations? Amen. Jesus designed for an inheritance and the possession of nations catalyzed him to issue what we call the Great Commission. Amen. To his disciples, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Say with me, all nations. Even Jesus, he saw the benefit of generational multiplication. He wasn't satisfied with winning a city. He wasn't satisfied with winning one country. No, he wanted the nation for his inheritance. Amen? And that should be our cry, too. So one of the ways that we fulfill the dominion mandate, one is through generational multiplication, number two, through wealth multiplication. Say with me, wealth multiplication. In Deuteronomy 8.18, it's Moses said, and, and the Lord said to Moses, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get well. Say with me, get well. Yeah. Why? That he may establish his covenant. Say with me, establish his covenant. Which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, in this passage of scripture, the power to get well is also translated the ability to produce well. Not just to obtain well, but to produce and multiply well. Amen? He has given us the capability to do that. Amen? So we're going to look at three different ways that God multiplies wealth. Number one is through inherited wealth. Amen? Where sons and daughters are provisioned with the legacy of family riches. Proverbs 13, 22 on your screen. A good man leaves an inheritance, say with the inheritance, to his children's children. So the first uh, type of wealth multiplication is inherited wealth, number two. The second type is transferred wealth from sinners to the righteous. Amen. Proverbs 13, 22. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Ecclesiastes 2, 26. For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering. And collecting. Why? That he may give to him who is good before God. We've heard about that wealth transfer, amen? And I believe we're coming into a season where that's going to happen, amen? It's beginning to happen. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. That's why we're preaching this stuff. 
Because we're going to need the wealth of the kingdom if we're going to preach this gospel to all nations. Amen? All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Amen? All right. So we've got inherited wealth, transferred wealth, and number three, miraculous wealth. Wealth is also multiplied through the working of miracles. Let me give you two examples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Remember Elisha. And there was a woman who had two sons, and her husband had passed away. And she had a lot of debt. And so the debt collector was coming because she didn't have any money to collect her sons and they would be his slaves. So in a panic, she came to Elisha. What shall I do? What's in your house? It's a key thing. You need to ask yourself, what's in your house? Why? Because God can multiply it. She said, well, I just have one small cruise of oil. That's it, just a little jar of oil. And so a miracle was about to happen. He goes, go to all of your neighbors and gather as many vessels as you can find and bring them in and start pouring this little thing and pouring it into these big jars. And kept pouring and kept pouring and kept pouring. How many know at that time, if you had several jars that size full of oil, you had some money. So what did she do? She sold the oil. She paid her debt. And they lived on the rest. Amen? Now, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. That's a miracle. But, you know, I think that the New Testament, one of the greatest New Testament miracles was the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. Five loaves, two fish, feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. Now, that is a miracle among miracles. Then they didn't believe it, so he did it again, the 4,000. Did it again. God could do it. If he could do it then, he could do it now. We have to start believing for this miraculous wealth multiplication. And I believe the word of the Lord tonight about breaking off barriers in your mind to what God can do. That's part of it. There's the traditions of men. There's the ways of men. And there's the law. And there's a curse associated with the law. Well, there's a curse associated with traditions of men and mindsets. There's a curse with it. Why? Because it puts you in a box. It limits you. But God wants to break that curse off of you, off your, to free your mind to begin to believe in a God that multiplies, amen, whatever you have, whatever's in your house, to bring multiplication so you can have more than enough. Amen? So Jesus knew how to steward what he was given. See, the ability to acquire and multiply wealth without the capability of properly, properly stewarding that wealth will neither establish God's covenant nor expand his kingdom in the earth. So once the wealth is multiplied, you need to know what to do with it. You've got to have the wisdom of God to do with it. Amen? Unfortunately... We've got many Christians throughout the world that have affluence, but no influence. You know the difference? You can be affluent and have no influence. And God wants you to have influence. But that's the only way we're going to expand his kingdom. How do you know that riches and money are simply a tool? 
If you don't know how to use it, you will have no influence. And there are people that have no affluence, no affluence whatsoever, and they were great, of great influence. And they say, who is that? How about Mother Teresa? She went to a vow of poverty, and she had great influence. She influenced so many people for the kingdom of God, expanded the kingdom. It's all about influence, not affluence. Does that make sense? Amen. Having great wealth does not guarantee one's ability to impact the character, behavior, or values of another. The effective stewardship of wealth it is therefore necessary to influence a culture for King Jesus. It's all about influence, church. Yes. Effective wealth stewardship begins with not only having, listen now, a firm grasp of our kingdom commission, but also making that commission our top priority. Yeah. All right? There's not only just knowing the commission, but putting it first. Matthew 6.33 summarizes it. But seek first, say with me, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, as long as you're seeking to expand the kingdom, God will get you the resources you need to make it happen. If he gives you the wisdom to have influence, amen, and you have a heart to build his kingdom, he will bring the provision to make it happen. Amen. I remember a famous preacher once said one time. He says, money always follows ministry, not the other way around. You do the ministry, you have the idea, you birth the vision without any resources, and if it's of God, he'll pay for it. Amen? He'll pay for it. It's kind of quiet there. <laughs> You're processing, right? Amen. I hope so. Let me give you an example. You Again, you have to have the king's commission in the forefront of your thinking to not only acquire the wealth, but to also steward it and use it to influence people. Amen? You've got to have his kingdom mindset and what his commission is before you. Now, remember King Cyrus. He was a pagan king, but he, he knew the Lord. Even though he was pagan, he knew the voice of the Lord, and in obedience to the voice of the Lord, he commissioned a remnant of Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It was led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Sounds like Barney Rubble, but it's not. <laughs> Zerubbabel. He was a governor. So he leads a remnant to go back to Jerusalem. I think it was like, I think 9%, maybe 9% or 10% of all this when it came with it. And they begin to build the foundation of the temple. And they finished the foundation of the temple. And then they started to get lazy. And, and they had a little bit of opposition. And so they quit building the temple. And, it, and they got a bright idea it wasn't God. They started building their own houses. With the materials they were supposed to be building God's temple with, they went and built their own houses with. So for 14 years, nothing happened. There was a foundation, but nothing else. 14 years, they stopped working on the temple. 
And finally, God said, I've had enough. So he sent two prophets by the name of Haggai and Zechariah. And this is what Haggai prophesied to them. You see, what happened was they abandoned their commission. They lost sight of the commission that they had received. And I think the body of Christ has lost sight of our great commission. We read it as make converts. It doesn't say make converts. Try to get people saved, but we never disciple them. It said, no, make disciples of all nations. It didn't say make preachers. He said, make disciples of all nations. So that's what we're about doing. And there needs to be models of discipleship set in place so we can actually do what he said. Because if we do what he said, we'll be able to reap the harvest. Because you can't win a nation from a pulpit. I got news. And that's what we've been trying to do for, for decades now. Try to win a nation from a pulpit. Can't do it. We, we, don't, we, we, we forgot the commission. We're not listening. He said, no, make disciples of all nations. We're trying to make hard converts. I'm going down a different pathway right now. <laughs> so all we do is we get bigger buildings and get people saved again and again and again. We're making converts, but no disciples. Again and again and again. People get saved over and over and over again. Amen. And we got converts, but nobody who can prophesy, nobody can move in a gift. Yeah. Amen. And they go out into their world and they say, just come to my church and get saved again. Yeah. Come to my church. <clears throat> Am I stepping on some toes? <laughs> Amen. But that's what, that's what ends up happening. We lose sight of our commission. Well, these guys lost sight of their commission. They were supposed to build the temple of God, and they went and they built their own house. That's a prophetic word for America. That's what we've done. Instead of building the house of God, we retreated to our house and we're building our own house. Hey, got news for you. COVID's over. Come back to the house of God. And it's not online. So people are in the comfort of their home, but they don't realize they're a living stone. And the mindset is, I'm here to receive. And if all you're there in the body is to receive, you can stay home. But God has a plan. You are a living stone, a member that means something. You're supposed to do something. You can't do it watching TV at home. Get back to church. Yeah, you're here. I'm here preaching on the choir. Amen. I'm talking to those on YouTube. That's a declaration of the body. Try to get back to church. We need you. We need your gifts. We need your talent. We need your anointing. And it ain't doing no good watching on a screen at home. If it was all about you getting, getting your fill and your word, it ain't about that. It's about you being a vital organ, a vital part of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Thank God for what we did while, we, you know, we didn't do it. We, we did broadcast. We just kept services going during, during COVID. And unfortunately, a lot of churches that quit their services, they don't have a church now. No church to go back to. Nobody went back. You know? Anyway, that's a whole different message. All right. So what did he say? Here's Haggai. The time has not come. He said the people, this is what the people said. The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled house and this temple lie in ruins? 
Now, therefore, says the Lord, consider your ways. That's what we need to look at, our ways. How many know that there's the words of Christ, the works of Christ, and the ways of Christ? We need to consider our ways because they're not lining up with Scripture. Amen? So properly stewarded well yields the provisions necessary to influence cultures and transform nations, which expands the kingdom of God. What are some examples of kingdom provisions? Evangelistic crusades, medical missions, orphanages, church plants, Bible colleges, internet broadcasting, global distribution of discipleship materials. These kinds of things are all worthy efforts of good stewards of God's provision. Amen? All right. So let's go over very quickly what is required to be an effective steward. Does anybody want to know? Yes. How can I be an effective steward? Number one, faithfulness is the cornerstone of effective stewardship. Because faithfulness is not only a precious fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it is relatively uncommon. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required, say with me, required, in stewards that one be found faithful. Proverbs 26 most men proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? So the first thing that's required is faithfulness. A faithful steward consistently proves themselves trustworthy, taking responsibility. To me, that's the cornerstone of leadership, take responsibility. Yeah. And that's why we don't have a lot of leaders today, because everybody wants to pass the buck and blame somebody else. That's right. Own it. Own it. Amen? Take responsibility for the management and the multiplication of resources entrusted to them, thereby achieving their commission in a timely and excellent manner and exceeding the expectation prescribed by their superiors. Where did I get that definition? The Holy Ghost. I didn't get it from any leadership book. This is what God gave me. Amen? So biblically, the faithfulness of stewards is tested in three primary ways. Anybody want to know what they are? Yes. Number one, be faithful in that which is little. The first way to prove the faithfulness of a steward is to entrust them with a task of little significance. If they prove faithful in successfully completing that minor task, they will be faithful in more. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So number one, be faithful in little. Number two, be faithful with money. The second way to prove faithfulness is how they handle money. Do they live within their means? Do they adequately provide for their family? Do they pay their bills on time? Do they bring their tithes to the storehouse? Or are they in debt? Are their family members in need? And do they give nothing to the house of God? Amen? Luke 16, 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous man, he's talking about money, if you're not faithful with that, paying tithes and offerings, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Yeah. You know what I feel like the true riches are? I mean, it could be wealth, but I think to me it's, it's the treasures of the kingdom, the anointing, the power to heal. The Bible talks about the powers of the age to come. 
That's what I call true riches, to be able to operate in the anointing. I'm going to tell you this. One of the reasons why more people don't operate in the gifts because they're not faithful with money. They're not going to be trusted with true riches. They may be called to operate in gifts and even maybe in an office. But because they're not faithful in unrighteous mammon, God can't give them the true riches of the kingdom. Everybody, anybody ever think of that before? Yeah. All right, number three. It's really quiet. <laughs> number three. Be faithful with others' possessions. Does, do they handle other people's possessions, their business affairs, their ministries, as if it were their own? By taking responsibility, completing all tasks on time with excellence, then that steward will prove worthy of having their own business, their own ministry in God's time. Amen? Amen. Luke 16, 12. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man, who will give you what is your own? Everybody wants their own ministry and want that. Well, have you been faithful serving under another ministry? Amen? I remember <laughs> way back, Kate, 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 I don't know if she'll be mad at me for sharing this, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is before I even met Pastor Kate. This was probably about 1988, something like that. Um, I was at a local church, and I did whatever they wanted me to do. And one of the, my jobs, but they had this really high sign outside. And, and, and it took these little letters. And I had to put it on this long stick and put, them, put the words up, you know, for the next big preacher who was coming. You know, so that was, that was one of my jobs. Sometimes it took a long time. And then they wouldn't come off right. And, all this, and that had both sides of the sign to do, you know. And they gave that to me to do. And then, you know, cutting grass at the church and stuff like that. I don't know if I clean clothes or not, but... Um, but, but anyway, it was faithful in menial stuff, you know. It was faithful in what belonged to somebody else, supported the pastor. I remember they had a prayer meeting. I think it was like 6 a.m. every day of the week. And, and I, would be, I would be the first one there. I would be there. I'd turn the sound equipment on. And sometimes it would just be me there. Sometimes it would just be in the pastor. But I was there every day, you know. Be faithful in what belongs to another man. Then you'll have your own one day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So faithfulness is the most important virtue of stewards and is required to successfully administrate the provision on earth and heaven. All right. So that's number one. Number two, having wisdom. Faithfulness and wisdom. Wisdom is a virtue that's necessary to administrate provision. Not only that, but to rule from a position of authority. In his parable of the faithful and evil servants, Jesus explains that a steward must not only be faithful, but he must be wise to be promoted from servant to ruler. Are you getting this? All right. So you need not only faithfulness, but if you have wisdom, you will not just be a servant, you will become a ruler. This is really important because rulers have influence. Does that make sense? You guys are so quiet. <laughs> All right. Luke chapter 12, 42, on your screen. And the Lord said, who, is, who then is that faithful and wise, say with me, faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler 
and with a ruler over his household to give him his portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. You can take someone who's just a mere servant. If he's faithful and he's got wisdom, he will run the place. He'll be a ruler. Amen? See, that's where God wants to promote many of us. We're faithful, but we need the wisdom of God to do things better than our bosses or our superiors think we should do them. And they say, oh, well, he knows more than me. Here, I'm going to put him in charge. Amen? Amen? You see, wisdom from heaven is the spiritual virtue that will empower faithful stewards to not only maintain their master's possessions, but also multiply them. It's one thing to maintain what they give you. It's another thing to multiply what they give you. Amen? Amen. Through the business of profitable trading. In the parable of the talents, the servant who had been entrusted with five talents traded with them to make another five talents. So he was given five, multiplied, made five more. That's, you need wisdom to do that. Amen? The faithfulness and wisdom of this servant promoted him to Lord and ruler in his Lord's house. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant, for you are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Same thing with a, a parable of, of the minus, a very similar parable. The servant had been given one minor, and he earned ten minus for the nobleman that he served. What was his reward for being a wise and faithful steward was he was given authority over ten cities. This is a servant who took one and he multiplied it ten times what it was given him. And because of the wisdom God gave him, he became ruler over ten cities. That's what God wants to do with you. Luke 19, 17. Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. God wants you to do that today. Amen? He wants you to use common, everyday people. Maybe you've got not a dime to your name, but you're faithful and you've got wisdom. And if you take what's given you and you multiply it, you will be given authority and rulership in the kingdom. That's where things begin to change. That's where influence takes, you know, takes place. Amen? We want to become a leader or a ruler so we can have influence. Does that make sense? That's where God's taken us. All right. Who are the rulers? The rulers are the policymakers. The enforcers and interpreters of law, the gatekeepers of the marketplace, standard bearers of instruction, for, uh, formers of public opinion, trendsetters of fashion, contenders of the faith that possess the power to reform the culture of nations. That's who God wants you to be. Are you getting the picture? I, I know this is turning out probably a lot different. I told you this book was different. <laughs> God wants you to get the money so that you can have the wisdom to take it, multiply it, God promotes you, and have you have influence in culture. Not just in the church, but in the marketplace, in the uh, government, and every venue of culture, he wants you to have influence. Amen? Amen? Influence is the key word. If you can have influence, 
You can influence the way people think. You can change laws. You become a gatekeeper of society. That's how the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's how we have dominion. Jesus never relinquished his dominion mandate. When Jesus died on the cross, he called back, pulled back, won back, regained all, not only all of our sin, but he took the, 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 the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and the authority was given back to us. Let's use it. Let's use it. Instead, I look at it in society and say, well, how did that person get it? He's not godly. Well, he needs to be replaced with a kingdom thinker, a mover and a shaker. Amen? The exceeding greatness of Solomon's God-given wisdom empowered him to be the richest and the wisest king in the earth. He had great influence on behalf of the Lord in all the nations of the world. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. Listen now. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He had to have the wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. That's influence. You've got the ear of the kings of the nations. That means you're going to influence their thinking, and they're going to become a kingdom, part of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Just like Solomon, yeah. heavenly wisdom was given yeah. to Joseph, yeah. which enabled him to not only interpret Pharaoh's dream, but also present a divine strategy to save the nations from, a, from starvation through famine. Okay? So he had the wisdom of God. He didn't have any resources. He was a prisoner. But he had wisdom from God, and he was faithful to Potiphar. He was faithful in everything that he did. Faithful in the prison. You know? He was thrown out of prison unjustly, and he ended up running the place. Because if you're faithful and you've got wisdom from God, what happened? In one day, he was promoted to second in Egypt in one day. Just because he could interpret the dream and had wisdom to have a divine strategy to save not only their nation, but the nations of the earth. This is what we're talking about, guys. And if they can do it in the Old Testament, we can surely do it in the New Testament. Amen. We've got Jesus, who is the source of all wisdom. He is wisdom. We need to get with the program. Amen? I'm preaching to myself. No, me too. Listen to this. Genesis 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God you showed you all this, and there is no one, say with me, no one, as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Just in one encounter, just in one encounter, the favor of the Lord was on me. That's what I'm talking about. Amen? wants us to reign with him. Amen? He desires faithful service. Just to ask, the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, who giveth liberally to all men, 
afraid it's not. But you got to ask in faith. Amen? If you lack wisdom, just ask for it. Bible says, get wisdom. And with all your gifts. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Right? Proverbs. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. Well, we need to take that to heart. If you need wisdom, go ask God for it. He'll give it to you. You just need to ask in faith, James says. Amen? He has ordained us to become rulers and kings, that we may reign with him in the earth. Revelation 5.10. And has made us kings and priests to our God, and we, say with me, we, shall reign in the earth. So if we're a good and faithful steward, and we got wisdom from God, he will cause us to be a ruler in the earth. Not a servant, a ruler. I don't care, I don't care what you came up in. I don't care if you came up in poverty, you didn't have the education. How many know that the wisdom of God will trump the wisdom of man any day of the week? Yeah. Be faithful, ask for wisdom, then use it, and watch what God will do with you. Watch what God will do with you. Amen? Again, through the authority and influence of godly rulers and kings, all the kingdoms of this world will eventually be transformed into the kingdoms of our Lord. Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? All right. We're going to do a little shift here. All right. So this is ultimately what God wants you to do. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be wise. He wants to transform you from a servant to a ruler that you would take the riches and use them to influence thinking and be put in a position where you influence culture, transform nations, and become and expand the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. In a nutshell. All right. However, there's a little trap. I got to talk about the trap the enemy will always use. And it's called damn. Amen. Of the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave Moses, the first addresses the sin of idolatry. There shall be no other gods before me. Amen? You see, above all, the Lord seeks those who will love, worship, and serve him wholeheartedly and exclusively. He, there shall be no other lovers. Amen? No other lovers. You shall have no gods before me. It is a prime directive throughout the Old and the New Testaments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Idolatry continued to be a sin in the New Testament. At the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, the end of 1 John, the very last thing he says, just out of nowhere, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And out of every god or idol that Jesus could have compared with to his father, the only one mentioned in scripture is mammon. He didn't say you cannot serve God and Jezebel. <laughs> right? What did he say? The word mammon means money in Hebrew and riches in Aramaic. Matthew 6.24 on your screen. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Either he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. Mammon is a representation in the pagan godhead of Baal, which is a major ruling demonic principality who has exercised dominion over entire nations. Baal reigned over Israel. 
during their backslidings in the Old Testament, and many consider Baal to be the strong man over America. John Benefil wrote a book about it. Amen? Baal Haman. Say with me, Baal Haman. It's one of the derivatives of the name Baal, which means possessor of abundance. Baal Haman is simply another name for Mammon, who is the principality of greed that lords over those who love and serve money. All right. So greed, which is the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6 on your screen. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. This is a trap. And if, he, if, if God increases riches in your life, I guarantee you, you will be tested by him. And you will be tested. Guaranteed. Those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation and snare and into foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Sounds pretty bad. Amen? For the love of money doesn't say money. It says the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. All right. Mammon deceitfully promises you that money will bring you happiness and security that should be supplied through our faith in God. This is what happens. When riches increase, people begin to set their hearts on mammon. They begin to trust mammon more than God. They look to their riches to be their security instead of God. And so what they do is, if I can just continue enough, getting enough money, I'll have a secure retirement. Or I'll be safe, my children will be safe. But how many know that the pursuit of riches turns your faith and your focus away from the master? That's right. Amen? Amen. First Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Or proud, right? Because a lot of times you find that rich people have a lot of arrogance because they think they're better because they got money. Not all, but some. Amen? Not to be haughty, listen, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. People find their security in riches. I just heard a story about a world-class printer this last couple days. You probably heard the, about the world-class printer that had, I think it was $10 million or $100 million, I think it was $100 million in its IRA, and uh, it was a scam. Now he's got $2,000. Wow. World-class printer, if I mentioned his name, you'd know who it is. Fastest man in the world, 10 years ago. Put his money in an IRA in a country that he shouldn't have, his own country. Total scam. Now he's got zip. This came out in the news. You can look it up. Amen? Where is he? Well, he's walking with the Lord. He's probably a little bit shaken up, but he's okay. <coughs> we can't put our trust. That's the problem. It's where you put your faith. You cannot put your faith in man. You've got to put your faith in God. It's easier said than done when the riches start coming in. Amen? You start looking at that. You turn your 
You know one reason why people can't hear God about finances? Where to put their money? Because they're hearing God through mammon instead of God. Mammon's in front of God, and they're hearing through mammon. They're hearing through greed. Mammon's speaking to them. They're making the wrong choice, and then they lose a lot of money. Not hearing the Lord. That's the reason why so many people can't hear from God about finances is because they're serving mammon, not God. They're putting their trust in man. Yeah, does that make sense? I know. Yes. Am I stepping on toes? But I'm telling the truth. In love. Yes. Let me just say, we all had to walk through. Some of us had to walk through. Amen. I'm just, I'm speaking from experience. Amen. All right. All right. So we can fall into pride. And what happens is we begin to forget about God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He warned him. Moses warned him. Deuteronomy 8. Verse 17. He said, after you amassed all these riches, then you say in my heart, listen up, my power, say my power, my and the might of my hand, say with me my hand, have gained me this wealth. Then you start thinking you're doing. You know? Happened to lay out this in church. Remember the book of Laodicea? They were very rich. The Laodiceans were very rich. They amassed an abundance of riches, but they became arrogant, spiritually lukewarm, and indifferent towards God. Revelation chapter 3, I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. They were completely indifferent and complacent towards God. They didn't care. Listen, because you say, I am rich, I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Not even God. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I count you to buy for me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. White garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eyes, said, that you would see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That was the message. Through the Laodicean church. I believe a lot of Christians are today are Laodiceans. They check a box on Sunday morning, they show up, they did their obligation. They're not pleasing to the Lord. He's ready to bomb. Amen. Just being honest. Alright. In the New Testament, there was a young man that sought out Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, you've got to keep the commandments. He said, well, I've done all that. What else do I need to do? One thing you lack. If you want to be perfect, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. What did he do? He went away sad because he was a very rich young man. So he forfeited becoming a disciple of Christ because he wasn't willing to give up his riches. wasn't willing to give up. I got tested in this a long time ago. This was probably, and it is in the book, so I'm going to share it. Um, this was probably, probably like, I think it was like, like 1990. I think it was 1990. It was a while ago. But I had worked at a Fortune 500 company. I worked as an engineer for about five or six years. And I had a 401k. It was over $10,000 in the 401k. Back in 1990, that was a lot of money. The Lord said, give it all away. 
Get every bit of it to your church. Okay. I did. I went to the pastor. I wrote the check out. He held it for 30 days. Are you sure about this? I said, yep. The Lord told me to do it. The Lord spoke to me. He said, there's going to be a hundredfold return on that money. He later told me that. <laughs> and the Lord is providing. And there's been strategic times in our life. We moved out here. We had not done one. And some just distant friend from Georgia context and said the Lord told me to give you $5,000 so you guys have a down payment on the house. That was back in 96. 1996. Yeah, stuff like that. Provision. You work for God, he'll work for you. Amen? You take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Amen? Amen. Matthew 19.23, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. On his sermon on the mount, Jesus instructed his disciples, do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.21, this is key. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. It's all about the heart. It's all about your heart. Amen? Proverbs 1.19, so are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of the owners. It'll literally take your life over. You can be serving God. Here's, here's a great indication to find out if you've got mammon, a problem with mammon. Where are you spending your time? Doing research on the stock market? Man, it's not doing so good, guys. Where to put the money next? Where are we going to figure it out? Where is it going to go? I gotta look after our retirement. I gotta do that. I gotta do that. How much time are you spending doing that? Are you spending time doing that where you should be praying? Amen. I'm speaking from experience. Amen. Yeah. God will get your attention. He will get your attention. You got money. Amen. I'm just speaking from experience here. Mammon will test you. You gotta cast that thing down. Amen. Amen. Jesus, listen now, and I'm coming in for landing. Jesus prescribed the ruthless cutting off of sin and casting down of every idol that keeps one from loving, worshiping, and serving God exclusively. Our wholehearted devotion and service to God should surpass in importance everything that has the potential of replacing Him in our heart, especially riches. Psalm 62, verse 10. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Because there will be a great temptation to set your heart on you you You've got to be willing to give it away. You've got to give yourself to God. Jesus assured his disciples and all who would leave behind whatever he required for the sake of his kingdom, that they would receive a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the age to come. So in summary, our Father's heavenly provision is abundant towards us, His children, and is accessible through giving. Our faithful and wise stewardship of this heavenly provision influences cultures, transforms nations, and expands God's kingdom in the earth. Many, listen to me carefully, many are called to be Christian millionaires and billionaires. 
However, the Lord takes pleasure in our prosperity unless riches compromise our love for and devotion to him. In other words, Jesus became poor that we through his poverty might become rich, yet not at the expense of us loving riches more than him. So this final passage captures the heart attitude believers should have towards riches. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. It's like, God, whatever you want from me, that's what I want. It's not that you won't receive it. It's like, stop seeking something that maybe he doesn't have for you. You see what I'm saying? He'll give you the provision you need to do what you got to do. So what is it? That hard attitude. Give me poverty nor riches. I'm indifferent toward it. I know it's a tool that God uses. I'm indifferent toward it. I will receive and I'll be a channel of whatever provision you give me so I can fulfill my purpose and expand your kingdom. That's the attitude. Right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who's the Lord? That's what the Laodicean says. I have riches. I become wealthy. I need them nothing. I don't even need God. Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Just give me what I need to fulfill my mission. Be indifferent towards money. It's a tool that we're supposed to use for his kingdom and his glory. It's all about influence. It's all about position. It's all about expanding his kingdom. Does that make sense, church? Yes. All right, everybody stand. I want to have our ministry team come up right now. Ministry team. Do you need special prayer tonight? Do you need prayer for healing? Prayer for finances? <laughs> need to cast down some idols? No. Need to deal with that? No, you need any prayer of agreement? Anything like that? We've got our ministry team come and pray for you today. How many have been blessed? I hope you're blessed. <laughs> this is the toughest book to write, but I feel like it could be one of the most valuable yeah. ones. When you get this figured out, do it right. Amen. Lift up your hands. We want to bless you before you go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people tonight. I thank you, Lord God, that they are ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, epistles read of all men, vessels of honor. And I pray, God, that even through this book and this teaching, that they would learn the value of heavenly riches. Lord, that they would be good stewards that they would be faithful and wise stewards of your provision, that you would promote them in your kingdom to be a ruler, to influence culture and expand your kingdom in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.